Hello, and welcome to PW's LitCast, the podcast from Publishers Weekly. In each episode, we speak to authors writing in all genres. I'm Lenny Picker, and today I'm speaking with Tim O'Mara, the author of the hook, A Mystery, published by Severn House, the sponsor of today's podcast. Good afternoon, Tim. Would you start us off with a brief excerpt from the book? Absolutely. I'm going to start on, uh, well, right on page one, which uh, is really where I suggest everybody start reading my book. Detective James Royce of Brooklyn North NYPD looked down at Maurice Joseph's lifeless body lying in two inches of freshly fallen snow with an arrow sticking out of his back. You, Mr. Dunn, he said, still looking at the dead man in front of us, are turning into Williamsburg, Brooklyn's own Jessica fucking Fletcher. What's that supposed to mean, I asked. He turned his glance to me. Come on, murder, she wrote. Jessica Fletcher? I get the reference, detective. My mom used to watch it every Sunday night. The one hour a week, she wouldn't answer the phone. But I don't know what that has to do with me. Being with you, he said, is like visiting Cabot Cove, Maine. He shook his head. Dead bodies just seem to pop up everywhere you go. I rubbed my eyes. Royce, I know it seems that... No, 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 really, Mr. Dunn, he said, and held up his right hand like a traffic cop. I know you, what, nah, five or six years? Give or take, I said, yeah. And in that time, you've been around more dead bodies than an intern at the city morgue. He scratched at his salt and pepper goatee. I noticed his closely cropped afro was also getting white. Deep down, I knew I was the reason behind some of that gray hair. I mean, no offense, he said, but if my daughter went to school here, I'd transfer her the hell out. I'd be afraid something would happen to her. I knew he was trying to be funny in that gallows humor sort of way that so many cops think they have, but I was not in the mood. A guy I worked with had just been murdered on the roof of my school as he was checking out his hydroponic vegetable garden and his pigeons. The fact that he'd been killed by an arrow, as in bow and arrow, added to the surreal feeling coursing through my body. I did a slow, eyes wide open 360 and took in a few deep breaths. What are you doing, asked Royce, tapping his notebook against his thigh. I'm trying to calm myself down, I said. You think I get used to seeing dead bodies? No, he said, I'd worry about that. He scratched his chin again. I also know you're not just calming yourself down. Most people do that with their eyes closed. You're, you're doing something completely different. Really, I said. What else am I doing, detective? He grinned and touched my shoulder with his index finger a few times. You are scoping out the crime scene, Mr. Dunn. The grin turned into a few short chuckles. I truly don't think you can help yourself. And without spoiling the plot of this, uh, this really entertaining uh, whodunit, could you give a little context to our audience about who Mr. Dunn is and a little bit of, little bit of background? Sure, Raymond Dunn, this is the fifth book Raymond has been in. Uh, Raymond Dunn is a former NYPD cop. He got hurt some years ago, and he didn't want to carry on his career injured. So he, so he went into something a, bunch, a whole bunch easier, uh, teaching middle school. And uh, as they say, you can never take the cop out of a cop. Raymond gets himself involved in situations that uh, involve his students or close friends of his. And even though he keeps saying he doesn't want to get involved, he's lying. He loves to get involved. How did you come to start the series? 
Um, interesting story. I think um, many years ago, I was doing a home visit. I was missing a kid for about two weeks, and he was, you know, any teacher who says they don't play favorites is lying to you. And uh, this kid was a kid I really wanted in my class. So I did a home visit and I ended up at the Roberto Clemente projects in Williamsburg, Brooklyn. And I was surrounded by the residents who were, you know, mostly black, Hispanic or Hasidic Jews. Uh, I'm not one of them. So I thought this would be a really cool place to open a book. Uh, fish out of water, so to speak. But he also knew the area from being a cop. Now, I had the benefit of having um, my brother as a cop. So I said, this would be really cool if I was a combination of me and my brother and I was coming to the Roberto Clemente projects looking for a missing kid. And the, the story came from there. Just to take a step back, so you're a public school teacher in the New York City public school system, I, I have recently retired. Two and a half years ago, I retired. But I did put uh, 30 years in working in Williamsburg, Brooklyn, and the Upper West Side of Manhattan, largely with special ed kids. And were you teaching at the middle school level? All 30 years middle school. That's the best age to teach at. All right. And in terms of the series, I was just sort of curious – how much of a difference would it have made if uh, if Raymond Dunn taught in the high school as opposed to a middle school? Oh, boy, that's a good question. Um, the big difference for me, I've always done, <laughs> when people find out I teach middle school, they're always like, oh, my God, that's so tough. Um, the, the kids at middle school are really starting to make the decisions that are going to lead to who they become as adults. That, 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 that age is 11 through 15. And you're really starting to, to make choices and, and, and navigate through your environment in ways that I think you're always going to have. So anything younger, Raymond, you know, couldn't use what I consider his sense of humor. And uh, high school, the, the kids are a little more entrenched with um, with whom they are, and also physically high school kids would challenge him in a different way. Uh, so the middle school population is just perfect, where Raymond, as a former cop, never, never would rely on anything physical. He relies on um, his conflict resolution training, his sense of humor, his uh, one thing that cops and teachers have in common, good cops and good teachers, uh, is the ability to ask really good questions and then to shut up and listen to the answer okay well try to shut up and listen listen to to yours so what <laughs> about what about the choice of brooklyn as opposed to another part of the city is uh just, William, yeah. williamsburg brooklyn is has been called the coolest place on earth and i i'm i'm smiling now as i think about it it is uh it's part yuppie. I, I don't know if we still use that phrase. Um, it's, uh, it, it's, it's got a high-end area. It's got, I hate to say, a low-end area. The projects are still very active. And it's got a, a, a very firm middle class. Um, but one of the first buildings I taught in, the second building I taught in, um, there's condos now right next door that I, I couldn't touch. They're, they're, they're million, million and a half one-bedroom condos. 
in uh, in Williamsburg, and you know, you go to the roof, you can see the city from there. Well, I live in Hell's Kitchen now, <laughs> so you know, it's just it's Williamsburg, Brooklyn. If you haven't been, it is arguably one of the coolest places, at least in the country. I can't say too much about the rest of the world, but I've been all around the country, and it's just you walk three blocks and you're in a different world. So I I love that and. I also wanted my books to be uh, charactered with people of different classes. I didn't want just all um, lower class, middle class. I mean, I did want lower class, middle class, and upper class. Not all just, uh, you know, the mean streets that Raymond Dunn, that uh, Raymond Chandler always talks about. So maybe picking up on that little uh, slip there. How did you come up with the name of Raymond Dunn? <laughs> Very good, Lenny. Uh, Raymond Dunn is uh, Raymond Chandler's the first name, and John Dunn, D-O-N-N-E, is the second name. And one of my all-time favorite pieces of writing, something I actually paid attention to in high school, is John Dunn is the is the poet and the pastor who said, "No man is an island unto himself." And when you first meet Raymond, he's, he's coming off a, um, a self-imposed island. He'd hurt himself as a cop. He spent a couple of years getting his teaching degree and feeling sorry for himself. And then on page one of the first book, you see him uh, literally taking his first steps towards opening himself up and, and getting back in, into the world of helping people. And how do you feel he's changed between the first book and the hook? Uh, he's a little less idealistic. He's opened himself up to having a relationship now. In the first book, he was very sheltered. And the, the, two, <laughs> the two romantic interludes were both interrupted. Uh, once his fault and once uh, the fault of a baseball bat. He's had to be harder. And I learned the same lesson. Look, I grew up on Long Island um, in a lily white area. I didn't have a black friend till college. So when I went into teaching in Williamsburg, Brooklyn, you know, I thought I was going to save people and I was going to be the, the great white hope. And, and that's just not the case. So, you know, Raymond has learned to be more of a realist, uh, as, as I did over the 30 years of teaching. And to what extent has Raymond different from the way you thought of him when you first began the series or you first began thinking about the series? Uh, that's a good question. He's, uh, he, he's less of a wisecracker, um, even though the part I just read from the hook starts out a little light. I, I have the, you, you'll notice that the cop gets the funny lines, what I think is funny. Um, Raymond... Raymond's sense of humor has been tinged by his experiences. I mean, he really has, it's five books and he's come across at least five dead bodies. Uh, you just can't have that happen. Uh, if, if you want to be true to your character, you can't pretend that each book starts anew. He's, he's been hardened by, by all these, um, these tragedies he's seen. And listen, it's, it's partly his fault. He, he invites himself into these scenes. He, uh, in this book, he's the, he's the reason the murder victim was working at his school. The, the murder victim was working out of a, working off a community service responsibility. So he took him on. 
And, uh, you know, that five, six, seven years ago, Raymond may not have done that. So he, he did it in this case. And, and he spends a good part of the book feeling like crap that he did that, 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 that Mojo, Maurice Joseph, would still be alive if, uh, if he said, no, we don't have any room for you. One of the interviews of you that I was able to find online uh, contained the following quote from you. For however long the series goes, though, the main focus will always be on kids in peril. That's what got me into the genre, and that's what the series is about. And right. Could you elaborate on that? Uh, well, as I hope this sounds the way I mean it, I've, I've always been attracted to kids in crisis. Uh, that's, that's the thing I bring to the table as a school teacher. Um, I worked, I stumbled into teaching for the best of possible reasons. I, I was chasing a woman I was in love with. And I accidentally discovered working with special needs kids in a camp up in Rhinebeck, New York. I was more attracted to the idea of working with kids in crisis than working as a school teacher. My dad was a teacher for 29 years. If you had ever told me I was going to follow in his footsteps, I would, have, uh, I would have smacked you in the head when you weren't looking. Kids in crisis need people looking out for them. Uh, and helping them to navigate through the system and helping their parents navigate through the system. So, yeah, I mean, all, all of my books ha have a kid in crisis. And, and I, it's unfortunate that in Williamsburg, Brooklyn, and even on the Upper West Side of Manhattan, which is a 45-minute subway ride, Williamsburg to the Upper West Side, 45 minutes on the subway, it might as well be half the world away. But, but kids are still in crises. They're just in different times, uh, different types of crises. And uh, any teacher will know that most of the time it involves their parents, unfortunately. And you chose during your career as a teacher to specialize with special education uh, students with special needs. Right. Um, can you talk about what about that experience taught you? Now it sort of, sort of sounds sort of, you know, general and a little... Uh, a little, little vanilla, but I mean, you spent an impressive period of time working with a population that uh, I know is more challenging than than the average student population. Yeah, I, I just like I said, I'm, I'm, I'm attracted to that type of kid. Um, I've never been interested in working with uh, too extensively with the talented and gifted, although I have. Um, when I first got my first full time special ed class, where I mean, I, I had. I had 11 kids who were classified as emotionally disturbed by the system. I got to tell you, these kids laughed with the best of them. We, I, I, I bring my sense of humor into the classroom. And in between that, we get some work done. Um, I've had a lot of teachers tell me, my kid used to hate math. Now they love going to it because you make it fun. And I think the, the reason we have so much special ed in America is because the kids are not learning the way we want them to learn. And I was one of those kids. I, I, you know, I did special ed, but I specialized in math and science because those were my two toughest subjects. And when I look out at a, a, a room full of sixth graders, I can spot the kids who don't get it because I was that kid. Now, if I taught English... I, I, I would go, why aren't you getting this? Because English and social studies always came easy to me. Whenever people find out that I'm a teacher and a writer, 
they all, almost always assume I taught writing. I taught reading. And it's the exact opposite. I wanted to teach what I struggled in, and I think that made me a better teacher. And I, I would take it one step further, even though you didn't ask this. I think that's one of the problems with the educational system in this country is most subjects are taught by people to whom they came easy. And they look at these kids and they go, why aren't you getting this? I've never asked that question because I knew. I knew why they weren't getting it because I was that kid. And Tim, you mentioned uh, at the start that you have a brother who uh, is or was uh, on the police force. Just retired, Sergeant Michael O'Mara from Nassau County Police Department, 36 and a half years. Uh, is he a fan of your books? He, he's read the first one. <laughs> okay. Which, which might have him one book ahead of most of my siblings. Uh, I'll tell you something. He called me up one night. He was at one of his favorite watering holes. And he called me up and he said, I have a great name for a character for you. Low Tide. And I said, tell me about Low Tide. He goes, Low Tide works at the docks. He works at the marina on Long Island. And he knows everything about everybody. And if you read, and I highly recommend you do, if you read um, Crooked, uh, Dead Red, you will find Low Tide as a character in there. And my brother just gave me two or three scenes. He really, he helped change the plot because he had the idea for a character. So even though he's a bit uh, negligent in actually reading my books, he loves to give me ideas and, and character names. Oh, that's great. Well, Thank you again for your time today, Tim. The book, again, is The Hook by Tim O'Mara from Severn House. Thanks for listening, and please join Thank us you. soon for another LitCast.